This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to Property Patter. My name is Emma Humphreys and I'm joined today by two of my fellow partners from Charles Russell Speechley's. Eddie Richards from our real estate team, who has a particular focus on retail and logistics, and Mark Bailey from our commercial team, who is a highly experienced technology lawyer. Now, we're all aware of the shift from high street to online retail with an ever-present expectation from consumers for not only quick delivery of goods, but also delivery to the door or their local store or pickup point. Today, we're going to have a look at the impact of that change on property other than the retail stores. We're also going to talk about the data which sits behind all of this and how it's stored, including cloud migration and data centers. Now, if we start with logistics, I mean, that phrase can cover all manner of things. But um, Eddie, what does it you mean when you talk about logistics? Uh, as you say, consumers want faster, more flexible ways to make their purchases. And the pandemic accelerated the t- trend towards online purchases. And whilst that move has slowed slightly, uh, online sales remain well ahead of pre-pandemic levels. To facilitate speedy, flexible delivery, not to mention the returns process, Retailers require large storage and distribution facilities. So from my perspective, when when I'm talking about logistics and my client base as well, they are talking about the the large sheds within which these uh, distribution hubs sit. Uh, They not only consist of large out-of-town big boxes, but there'll be a series of of essentially drop-down boxes, so medium a little bit closer to to main population areas, uh, all the way down to last mile delivery, which may or may not sit within uh, the town or city themselves, all fulfilling a different purpose in the distribution chain. And it's not just retailers that require these types of units. Uh, Another sector, obviously, that that requires a large space uh, is the data center. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget all this stuff that sits behind whenever we put in an order or, as you say, return something. And data centres, yes, Mark, for the benefit of our listeners, what uh, is it that we mean when we say data centre and where does cloud migration fit into that? The data centre really is the home of the digital economy. It's also, uh, as you say, Emma, it's the the home of the cloud. And um, that feels like a buzzword that everyone knows that things are in the cloud now. So. You go to a supermarket and um, people are complaining that there's nothing on the shelf because the distribution systems failed in the cloud. So it feels something that is intangible, but yet it's really, really tangible. It's exactly where all of our processing for um, the internet and our businesses is done. Think of what you could lose if there were no data centers and there was no data processing. Basically, the economy would shut down. In physical terms, though, the data centers very often sit on similar parks to the logistics parks. And in essence, they are really very large technical sheds rather than logistics sheds. And if we boil down to that a little bit further, a a data center can be a physical room or a building or a facility or a campus that houses IT infrastructure, which builds and runs the delivery of application and services. So that could be running uh, storage for data. It could be running a website. It could be running a logistics system. And those data centers can be very, very large scale and consume a huge amount of power. So the larger uh, facilities which are now being built uh, can be anything up from 50 megawatts upwards of c- capacity. And they're highly resilient buildings. 
that have a very significant amount of redundancy, both around the power and also the um, generators and M&E infrastructure that supports the servers. It's basically a hotel for servers. And those servers produce a huge amount of heat. So that means that there are very heavy service levels and availability around those uh, servers to keep them running. The servers run 24 seven. They need uh, resilient power and they also need a very um, resilient temperature range and humidity limits. So one person I know described um, a data center as putting a hairdryer in a fridge. That's the battle between the servers producing their power and the building acting to cool and make that a good environment for those servers to operate. And just as Eddie said, within the logistics world, you have the last mile in uh, data center infrastructure. We're now increasingly uh, moving also to have an edge. And that is the place effectively where um, processing is going to be needed right by the consumer or the business in order to process data. So think of um, having data coming from your smartwatch and that data needs to be processed immediately in a local environment. That's not going to go back to a data center 100 miles away from that individual. That is going to be processed right locally so that uh, the individual can receive the benefits of their services uh, to meet uh, the smart economy, which is our digital cars, smartwatches, internet of things. Thanks, Mark, and not least for giving me some inspiration as to what we're going to call this podcast. I think we'll call it Let's Talk About Sheds. <laughs> it's a perfect summary. Perfect. Um, <laughs> and an investment into these two asset classes has been very popular over the past few years. Is that still the case? I mean, I'm assuming for what you're saying it is. Eddie, on the logistics side, is it still an attractive sector? I mean, the, the short short answer is yes, Emma. Uh, as you mentioned, as as offices became ghost towns during the pandemic, um, investors sought to deploy their capital into alternative asset classes. And the shifting consumer trend that we mentioned made distribution units an attractive proposition. Uh, that that move fueled a rise in purchase price. And following the year of turbulence, which um, spiked with the trussonomics, there, there has been now a rebasing of that price and it, it's slowly coming down to a manageable level. The, the cost of debt has increased significantly uh, and sellers are finally accepting that they're going to have to have to move downwards uh, to allow players to move back into the market. But it, it remains attractive because there's a, there's a scarcity of good quality stock and historically low rents means that distribution centers in the right location still represent a good investment option with a lot of latent rent, um, rent increase to, to be had there. And as well as consumer trends, geopolitical events mean that companies continue to review how they operate and they're looking to add resilience to their supply chain. Uh, this can involve co consolidating older stock uh, and relocating to larger purpose-built higher spec units, as well as onshoring manufacture and storage. Some companies are also choosing to hold on to more stock than they once would have, meaning that the demand on space and quality uh, of said space is likely to remain in the short to medium term, meaning that uh, rental growth will be good and, and investors will continue to, to look at that asset class as a, a solid investment. Yeah, that sounds sensible. And particularly, as you say, with everything that's going on geopolitically, I think uh, that's bound to have an effect, isn't it, on this market and this and this desire to be more self-sufficient and presumably marked particularly with <laughs> various things we've seen. The same is true for, for data centers, I imagine, is it? Yes, very much so. I think it's probably still a fairly specialist market. There are a lot of people who want 
to invest in data centers or feel like it is attractive, but um, it is um, not necessarily for the faint-hearted. So there is a relatively small number of um, specialist providers of finance to the sector, um, and it's, it's quite heavily dominated by some large uh, infrastructure funds as well. So um, that's one aspect, but the um, market is generally growing. In the UK, um, I think the prediction from CBRE is that there's going to be around a gigawatt of um, data center capacity in the UK by the end of the year. Um, and so um, the demand, obviously, for IT services is going to continue to grow. Um, in terms of um, that, there's been a recent uh, competition um, review by Ofcom of the cloud markets, which are the uh, markets where data centers are typically uh, procured. So, so something around 80% of the UK co-location market is procured by the hyperscalers. So that's basically uh, Amazon and Microsoft, uh, Google, um, Facebook, and others. And so they are sharing probably, uh, again, 70 to 80% of that market um, in terms of the infrastructure markets. So their demand will pretty much drive the sector. They are obviously um, demanding fairly predictable prices from their customers. And so the cost of deployment has to be managed very, very carefully on these projects. And um, that does have an impact in relation to the um, availability of finance. But overall, um, strong market, again, as Eddie said, affected by uh, the interest rates, but people seem to be adjusting to that. Um, and one of the key issues, I think, in, in the market is that there's a relative scarcity of um, M&A targets um, at the moment, and therefore prices for um, M&A still remain relatively high. And let's talk about some challenges as well that these markets face. I mean, what are the main headwinds you think these two asset classes face at the moment and in the short to medium term? I think the most obvious uh, headwind for, for occupiers, at least, is is the lack of good quality stock. So I guess on my day to day, I'm looking at it more from the investment side of things, but it's, it's building enough high tech automated sheds to uh, facilitate uh, retailers requirements, but also other sectors quick enough um, and at an affordable price as well with construction materials going up through the roof all the time. Uh, it, it's just keeping up with that demand, really. Uh, and Mark touched on most occupiers are very energy thirsty, regardless of the sector that you're looking at. So with the real estate sector accounting for 40% of car carbon emissions, and most landlords and tenants signing up to fairly aggressive targets in terms of achieving net zero and uh, low carbon. The, there is a challenge there to, to balance the energy requirement and meeting ESG credentials. So increasingly in the logistics sector, at least, you're looking at clean energy. The low hanging fruit perhaps is solar because of the, the large footprint and, and the roof being the obvious place to put them. But there are other initiatives being looked at. Uh, part of the issue with doing that is unless you're on a largely retail park, you'll have an excess and the national grid often won't be able to, to take that on board. Um, they, they can't really keep up with the, the renewable supply. So there's a little bit of an infrastructure backlog 
um, and we'll have to see where we get to on that. But at least, at least it's moving in the right direction. I mean, we it's incumbent on everybody involved with the property sector to work towards those targets, uh, given given the large carbon emission from the sector. And presumably, Mark, we're seeing the same sort of challenges for data centres. I mean, you were talking about the cooling and things that are required. Presumably, that's also a concern there. Yeah, very much. I think in terms of data centres, uh, I'd probably um, echo what Eddie says on steroids. Um, so in effect, if you look at a typical data centre, the um, consumption of energy um, for that is probably, um, as I say, in in the megawatts for the larger facilities um, and around half the cost of operating a data center is probably uh, energy based and therefore um, the cost of energy gets passed through uh, to the end uh, customer but clearly is a very large component so the the design issues around that are very significant and there's been a very strong drive obviously to lead to more energy efficient designs and in um, the data center world there's a calculation called PUE, power use effectiveness, which um, measures that partly to measure how much the building consumes as against how much the IT servers consume. And the aim is to get to as low a PUE as possible. So the design constraints are always there to do that, but also to ensure that the facility keeps running. So um, that technological shift will continue. We'll move to more sort of black buildings and more um, automated um, services there but that is a continual um, evolution of ME technology infrastructure technology um, so that those constraints will continue um, ironically actually one of the, the largest constraints may be the um, insatiable demand from the hyperscalers to actually um, obtain new facilities so there is, is some concern that that demand could outstrip supply um, and that could be a factor of itself um, that will need issues around speed of delivery, cost of money, um, predictability of uh, construction and inflation, labour shortage skills and supply chain challenges, um, as um, is common in any large complex project. But again, multiplied by the um, need for the um, demand to be so heavily planned by the operators. And then, um, as we said the primary restriction probably is power. So in the markets in Europe, there's been a very strong constraint of power in, in Slough, which is one of the main UK markets. Dublin's had similar issues, um, as has Amsterdam, and there have been some effective moratoriums by some authorities in order to cut down the amount of new um, data centre construction. So that regulatory aspect as to where the power is going is quite political. I think uh, in a recent survey, the Greater London Authority, GLA, said that data centre demand for power was probably outstripping all the other demand on a combined basis for the rest of the region. And once you get into those types of um, debates, obviously power allocation, who can purchase clean power and use clean power can become a very, very strong issue that is going to drive um, part of the issue around um, data usage. And I think being slightly contrarian here, um, a lot of data stored in data centers um, could be reduced, um, but we haven't yet seen a huge pressure to do that. Obviously, data protection regulation requires data only to be stored for defined periods, but the amount of data which is held in these data centers continues to multiply. And so whether anyone is ever going to take the ambitious step of trying to encourage that data to be minimized or put in some form of colder or warmer storage to reduce energy consumption 
might be something we we see. Um, that's a neat segue, I think, into our final issue, which is very much ESG. Um, the industry has been very, very aware of the carbon footprint which it produces, and there's been a lot of work done um, to educate in the sector that the larger data center operators are not horrible polluters that are just killing the planet. Something like 2.5% of power is currently consumed by data centers, but the claim from the industry quite rightly is that that is 2.5% well spent because it consolidates data from third-party, more, ineff more inefficient areas and storage and creates proper hubs for this data to be stored and transferred. And that, together with the technology shifts and the resilience that that produces, helps the economy both to be more resilient but also more power efficient. So that, again, is uh, part of the debate which we have very regularly with uh, policymakers and with governments around data centres to manage those challenges and make sure that the energy cost is not uh, cripplings. There are a variety of schemes which operators can go into, which will help uh, to manage the power costs through um, energy incentives and management. Um, our big issue on the horizon, obviously, is 2030, which is the carbon neutrality. The data centre sector has set some um, voluntary targets for that, but is also having to deal with a 2030 target uh, for carbon neutrality. That is coming out in some interesting ways, including uh, improved design and usage of data centers, but also a significant focus on the social impact that data centers can make, whether that's um, energy from heat schemes and other areas where the data centers can improve the local environment by using the heat output or promoting um, more efficient use of heat within their environments. So that's a debate and a discussion that's going to continue very actively and occupies the data center sector. Uh, very, very heavily. It's interesting that you, you touched on the S in ESG there, Mark, because there's a tendency to focus on the E, but S is just as important. And ju just to follow on from your comment, in the distribution unit world, um, the S largely relates to staff. I mean, if we're moving more from high street retail to to these distribution units where most, most of the workers are going to be, they need to be a, a nice safe place to work um you know there's a lot of reports about how hot these units can get so again touching on e as well there needs to be sufficient ventilation it needs to be safe to walk out if it's um if it's out of town um with lighting etc so it's not an intimidating place to get to and that these places can make a positive contribution to local communities so you know offering on-site facilities gyms etc just to make the whole experience experience a bit nicer is is very important to, to investors and occupiers alike. Well, thank you very much both. Um, that's been a really fascinating insight into these worlds of logistics and data centres. So thank you uh, for explaining it all. I'm sure we're going to see uh, more investment and demand in this area, although I'm sure, as you've touched on, continuing challenges also. Uh, for any of our listeners who want to find out more, please do head to Eddie and Mark's details on our website and you'll be able to find their insights on this fascinating area. In the meantime, I uh, hope you're all well and enjoying the arrival of some sunshine. This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast. <laughs>